Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we ask this morning that as we listen to your word to us, as we come here, Lord, um, with hearts toward turned toward you in worship and in thanks, God, we ask, will you um, increase in us the gifts of faith and hope and love? Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. My dad is a farmer, and he recently finished up the harvest this year. That was good. That was good. Um, as you can imagine, farming comes with certain expectations, despite the things that you can't control, like the weather is probably like the number one thing you can't control. And even, you know, machinery glitches, getting stuck in the mud, um, all of those things. You know, despite those things, there are some essential things that you can expect as a farmer. And namely, <laughs> I think the essential is that you reap what you sow. In other words, what you plant is like what you're going to harvest. You're not going to plant, you know, tomatoes and get cucumbers or something crazy like that. So my dad um, planted corn and soybeans last spring. He watched all summer as corn and soybeans grew in his field. And corn and soybeans is what he expected to harvest this fall. And indeed, he harvested a good crop of corn and soybeans. In our first passage of the day today in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, we have this love poem parable, um, the song of the vineyard. And Isaiah's first listener is located in an agriculturally-based society. Um, they would have had a similar idea of, like, reap what you, you reap what you sow expectations in their line of work and how they thought about life. Um, and they would have thought of this, too, as they heard this song of Isaiah, as this song of the beloved's care of the vineyard. So I'm going to reread some of it for you. Um, so they had some expectations. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, and he cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines, he built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. There's where the expectations go awry. So, in Hebrew, wild grapes equal stinky, worthless grapes. These are, you know, stinky, stinky, worthless grapes. Well, that's unexpected, say Israel, or Isaiah's listeners, and us, too. We're supposed to be surprised by this. Hmm. So at this point, Isaiah has our attention, as he did with his first listeners. The beloved's care, and it's even more like unexpected, because the beloved's care of his vineyard was active and thorough and dedicated. How, then, could this vineyard of the beloved's produce stinky grapes? It really doesn't make any sense, you know, because what you reap is what you sow. So next, the beloved speaks, making this point. So now we hear the voice of the vineyard keeper. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done for it? 
When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? We're empathetic with the vineyard keeper now. He expected one thing and got another. And the question, you know, in that part that really gets me is, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? So now, really, like, now all ears are listening for what will happen next. And the, po the poem song goes on. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry of distress. Here at the end in verse 7, the, song, the song's meaning is made clear. Again and again throughout this song, we hear that God expected one thing and got another thing. Um, and when I first read this passage, and when you hear it, you know, God's response to not getting what he expected in the vineyard was, was to completely and, I think, aggressively undo the vineyard. I will make it a waste. This once fertile hill will become a dry and thorny wilderness. To me, that felt a little extreme. But I think, here, I think the key here is really at the end of verse 7, where we learn that what God expected, the good grapes that God like, had sown and he expected to reap them, the good grapes that God was expecting were justice and righteousness. In other words, God planted a people of justice and righteousness, and he expected a harvest. He expected a crop, like a collection, all the synonyms of, of harvest, a collection, a return, an increase, like there'll be more, that is a whole point of like planting something. There's going to be more. There, there will be more than what you planted. And, a, and more of that particular thing that you planted. Like my dad with the corn and soybeans, he put one, you know, corn kernel in each little spot. Not so that he could get one corn kernel in return. He's like looking to multiply. He's looking to like have a yield, you know? Farmers talk about their yields because they're wanting it to, like, increase. We want lots of corn cobs. We want those corn cobs to have lots of kernels, you know? Like, all of the things, the tomato plants, whatever it is. God is looking for a harvest. He's looking for high yield. The high yield that he's looking for is justice and righteousness from his people, Walter Brueggemann writes, ultimately for Israel, justice was based on relationships. Justice was based on relationships. So there's like, you know, we have a whole idea of a, of a judicial system. And that, that was the case in Israel too. You know, they had systems. But primarily when scripture talks about justice, it's like this relational-based justice. Brueggemann says, so ultimately for 
for Israel, justice was based on relationships, and righteousness in those relationships was seen through people living with integrity and gravitas, who by their presence and their actions lend stability to the community. That is what God was looking for from his people. But when God looked to harvest justice, that posture of relational integrity, of making things right with one another, instead God saw bloodshed. When God looked to harvest and what he expected was righteousness, this place of health-giving relationships that actually like were made more healthy with, with one another as we're engaging in relationships. Instead, God heard a cry of distress. Biblical scholar Joseph Bleckensop writes, this word pair of justice and righteousness conveys a vision of a just social order in which the rights of all, including the most marginalized, the destitute, orphans, and widows, are respected. This phrase, justice and righteousness, it has like particular meaning for those who are most marginalized in the society. And it conveys this vision of like this just society Right where things are made right for those, particularly who find themselves at the very bottom of things. The harvest of wild and stinky grapes, like it's kind of funny, stinky grapes, um, when you say it, but it's like, it's not simply that this harvest was like inadequate or um, just a poor, poor showing, you know? Like there's actually... One commentator said, like, it's evil. This is the world as it is not meant to be. When God expects justice, there should be no bloodshed. When God expects righteousness from his people, a harvest of righteousness, he should not be hearing cries of distress from his people, particularly from the ones who are widows and orphans and the most, like, in need. Israel and Judah have forsaken justice and righteousness in their communities and forsaken relationship with God, their beloved. That is why God says, this vineyard, I'm clearing it out. And we hear this critique from the prophet Isaiah earlier in Isaiah chapter 1. This is the message version, because there have been problems here in Israel and Judah for quite some time that God has been trying to correct. And Isaiah says this, Can you believe it? The chaste city, referring to Jerusalem like the heart of God's people, the place where God's presence dwelt with his people in the temple, The chaste city has become a prostitute. She was once all justice, everyone living as good neighbors, and now they're all at one another's throats. Your coins are all counterfeits, your wine is watered down, your leaders are turncoats who keep company with crooks. They sell themselves to the highest bidder and grab anything not nailed down. 
They never stand up for the homeless, never stick up for the defenseless. You see, the prophets like Isaiah, they speak to society with the Torah, with scripture in one hand, and like my Old Testament professor used to say, like with the Star Tribune in the other hand. You know? They are they're interpreting circumstances in their society, in their time. They're describing what is. You know, we have this idea sometimes of like prophets like forecasting into the future and like foretelling. I think the prophets did that certainly, but the large majority of what they are saying is describing what is going on. <laughs> what do, Interpreting the circumstances of today, they are addressing the here and now and connecting it with the covenant relationship with God that the people are to be engaged in. So we hear in Isaiah's prophetic words, and what we see in our mind's eye of the tearing down of the vineyard is God's unapologetic pursuit of justice and righteousness. God is unapologetically pursuing, making us healthy and whole in our relationship with God, others, and ourselves, and all of creation. This is God's vision for us and for our world. And he's not going to be satisfied with bloodshed and cries of distress. He's not going to be satisfied. And this pursuit, this pursuit of increased justice and righteousness on this earth, it's a pursuit that God is not doing on his own, but with and through his people to all people. God is a covenant-making God. We've known that since, since the beginning. God has been, since Genesis, God has been all about making covenant with his people because he wants us, and this is like from creation, he wants to partner with us in this work in the world, in God's good work in the world. He is determined that we are going to do this good work together. Like, he's like, I'm doing this with you. I'm going to do this with you. You're going to do this with me. For this reflects the very nature and character of our loving and just God. And it's incredible and unbelievable, really, I think, as we read on and get to Isaiah chapter 11, that despite the people's massive failures of social injustice, of oppression of the poor and the powerless, of infidelity and deceit, like really, really bad, stinky grapes, perhaps you can like look around our society and also find some themes similar to these. Really bad, bad, like stinky grapes. And God is still has this expectation, despite all of that, God still has this expectation and this vision of hope for his people that they are meant to grow justice and righteousness, that they are meant to bear good fruit. Good grapes. God is like, I, I, will, I will plant and I will sow good grapes. Like the expectation that when you plant corn, you are going to harvest corn could it be that the destiny of the human nature of what it means for us to be human beings in this world is to produce just and righteous societies, health-giving personal relationships, 
and health-giving communities that are making things right in the world. You know? Could it be that we're not meant to like actually mess this up all the time? <laughs> you know? That when God made humans, the first humans, he expected that they would like multiply and that this, the way that he made us to be was to be people of justice and righteousness who would then like multiply a just and righteous world. Like that would, that would flow out of who we are. Could it be that this remains God's expectation and vision of hope for his people? Could it be that God is not done doing this good work? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Here we are told of the one who will be the first fruits of a plentiful harvest. the first fruits of a really plentiful harvest. In an act of divine mercy, God himself will provide the means for his people to know what it is to be fully human. I think that is just amazing. In an act of divine mercy, God is like, oh, my people, oh, my people, my people, they like need me. I, you know, who knows? I can't, I'm not gonna. Shouldn't probably put words in God's mouth, but he's like, I need to become one of them to show them what it, what it is, what it is to be fully human. To realize, for, to help them realize their proper destiny with me on this good earth to embody justice and righteousness, to establish just and righteous societies on this planet. We hear from Isaiah's words that from this dead stump of a tree, we've changed metaphors now, we're out of the vineyard, we are to a forest that has been all removed and there are stumps. <laughs> so we, we now have this stump of a tree, which was Israel. God promises new life that he's not given up hope for his people, that a branch will bear fruit at last, like good fruit, and a king from the line of kings, human kings, will lead with 
righteousness and justice with eyes in particular looking to the needy and the poor of the earth. I like how the message Eugene Peterson says, each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and he'll build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. That's the kind of king. That's the kind of king we have. And this is Jesus, the one who has come and is coming again. You know, and our hearts cry, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We need you to pull on your work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. And Jesus calls to us, put on your work clothes and your sturdy boots. Let's begin this work of building faithfulness and righteousness in this land. So in the meantime, as we wait for Jesus, we wait for Jesus to come. In the example of our king, Jesus calls us to pursue justice and righteousness in our relationships and in our society. And a good place to begin, I think, is in our relationships as we seek to make things right. You know, it can, those words are so big, justice and righteousness, but I think if we were just to like really shrink down justice, we could say, you know, it's like about making things right. How can we make this right? And we find that in our relationships when we have an argument and we mess something up and then it's like, well, you know, we go through the apology part. You know, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And then a good, like, justice follow-up response that we could practice with one another would be, like, is there anything I can do to make this right? The wrong that was done. So, I believe that Jesus is wanting to produce in us increasingly health-giving relationships with, with God, with him, with one another in creation. Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pay attention to the poor, to take care of our planet. And I wonder, and these are just big questions that I have, you know, I wonder how is Jesus bringing relational health? How is Jesus making things right in our communities and in our personal relationships? And like, where are we seeing that? I think we gotta like train our eyes to like, pay attention for where God is like actually making things right because that's I think a movement of God's spirit where things are being where things are being made right where relationships are actually like mutually health giving <laughs> and something is actually like oh my gosh you can you can feel it when you're like with people in like a healthy <laughs> who are in healthy relationship with one one another you're like I think I want to spend more time with these people there's like something real there's something good and like holy that's happening here. So I wonder like how, where, where do we see that? What does that look like? How can we be a part of that? How are we already a part of that? Those health-giving relationships, those practices of making things right. In what ways are we and am I contributing to relational dishealth and injustice in our communities, in our personal relationships? Like where are my patterns and ways of being actually making my relationships less healthy. <laughs> you know? Less, 
less good, more stinky, you know? And other people are like, whoa, those are some stinky grapes. You gotta like do some work on that. Where do we see that in our communities? Like, wow, we had some, we had some, it's just so, it's such a weird thing. Stench, we just got like, this is bad, and everybody knows it, you know? Because like smells like that, they just are like, this is not okay, you know? Where are we seeing that? Our own relational dishealth, our own, the own injustice, where things are just not right in our communities, in our society. And how can we grow in self-awareness and better educate ourselves in those places? All right, this is the last, last thought here. Isaiah has taught me and reminded me this week that to grow in justice and righteousness to make things right through health-giving relationships with God, one another, and all creation. Isaiah has reminded me that we are made for this. We're made for this. And by the mercy of God, our beloved, we are given, we have been given all that we need. We have been given all that we need to be and do this good work through Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, who lives and reigns with God and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.